Good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Enjoying the snow? Good, good. So my name's Chuck, and I get to be one of the pastors here at City Light. And just so you know, I'm a lot older than Doug and Eric. Um, yeah. This is also true. I'm not near as smooth. I have way less hair, but you'll never see me wear the same shirt as them on any given Sunday morning. Yeah. So, but for whatever reason, they let me on the team, and uh, I just got to tell you, I love those guys, and I say it all the time, but it is a privilege to call them my pastors. Um, let's get started this morning. Now, I love the fall time. How about you? You guys like the fall time? Not really experiencing fall right now, but um, I think this week the weather's actually going to clear up enough so that we can kind of enjoy uh, the fall season and the fall colors. And so this is a time when like football season is in full gear and when um, the, the, the harvest is being gathered in from the fields and taken to the silos and the, the grain bins. This is also a time... Uh, when our favorite shows, those new episodes of some of those favorite shows uh, come out and we get to enjoy some of those on TV. And then also the networks, uh, this is a, the time of year when the networks like take risks and they put out these new shows that they think people might like. And I'm not sure if you've seen this show or not, but CBS, they put out a show just a couple of weeks ago called God friended me. Have you seen it? The, the premise of the show is kind of interesting. The main character is this atheist in New York City named Miles. Now, Miles is probably in his 20s. He's an amateur podcaster, and he works for this identity theft protection company. Now, Miles starts receiving these friend requests from this person named God. Now, thinking it's a practical joke that an atheist would get friend requests from a guy named God, he continues to delete these requests, one right after the other. But as God is, God is persistent. And he keeps sending these requests, and eventually, Miles accepts this friend request from God. So after he accepts this request, he begins to get these um, suggestions, these um, suggesting friends to Miles on Facebook, like John Dove. John is this guy who he happens by chance to run into on the street, and he hears a, Miles hears this conversation between John and his girlfriend, and his girlfriend breaks up with him. John is observing this, and he sees that, or Miles is observing this, and he sees that John is upset, and John goes down into the subway. Miles follows down there, and he's observing this guy from afar, and John is standing on the edge of the subway area, and he sees this train coming at him, and Miles knows what he's thinking. Miles makes his way over to John, and just at the last minute, when John is about to take that last deadly step, Miles grabs a hold of John and pulls him away. Now, Miles is obviously appreciative. He looks at John and he says, you saved my life. Well, Miles continues to pursue John, finds out, thinks that this is all a big farce, and he, um, 
he continues to pursue John and to see what is at the core of this God friend. Who is this God friend? Is this something that really exists? So in the process, we as an audience, we get to see one of these many God-orchestrated meetings between uh, these two strangers that appear like they're designed and appear to be just in time. The question is, the thing that keeps us kind of coming back to the show is, is this an elaborate hoax or is God real? And is he working through Facebook to challenge Miles' unbelief? Now, stick with me. As silly as it might sound that a show combining faith and Facebook has relevance to, the, it, to, our, to our story this morning, it does. It has relevance because what Whitney just read, what actually happened 2,000 years ago, um, in this show, God friends this atheist to save a guy's life. He uses an unlikely person to do something unexpected. And that's what the Bible is teaching us here in Acts chapter 9. Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. Now, our story today doesn't involve an atheist on a mission to disprove God. It involves a religious murderer on a mission trip to, uh, to stamp out the church. Jesus doesn't hide behind the screen of social media. He speaks loudly on the road to Damascus. And what happened to Paul, it wasn't a part of some elaborate hoax or some mysterious imposter. It was an actual encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and it changed the church forever. Our story in Acts 9, it starts by introducing um, this guy named Saul to us. We find out later in, the, in, in Acts that his, he's actually a Roman, and he also goes by the name of Paul. Now, this is the guy that the Bible says was breathing out threats and murders. Sounds like a pretty intense dude, wouldn't you say? Um, interesting enough, this isn't the first time that we come across this guy named Saul. Um, he's introduced to us a few chapters back when one of the first ever deacons of the church was murdered. So in Acts chapter 6, there were some issues in the church. There were some people in need, widows and others, they were in need. And so the church comes together and the apostles, they come up with this plan and they come up with seven men to help serve the needs of the church. Stephen is one of those guys. Stephen was one of those men that the church chose from among themselves to take care of the needs of widows and others in the church who were in need. So Stephen's going about doing his thing. He's like serving people. He's preaching the gospel. And he finds himself eventually in front of this religious crowd of men. And they're asking him all these questions. And so Stephen, he does the only thing that Stephen knows how to do. You know what he does? Talks about Jesus. He talks about Jesus. And so um, Stephen is killed by this religious crowd of people, which by also is the same crowd of people that killed Jesus. Stephen is killed by these guys. And you know how, they're, how they kill him? You know how they murder him? Stones. That's right, stones. 
One stone right after another they throw at Stephen. One after another until eventually his body can't take anymore. His heart beats the last beat. His breath takes the last breath and he dies. Now, you know who's standing not too far from the scene cheering on the people that are throwing the rocks? Saul. He stands with his arms crossed in pride saying that this thing is okay. That's a little bit of a glimpse into who Saul was. If there was ever a guy that was a roadblock to, who, um, to, to advancing the gospel, it was Saul. But then Jesus shows up. He humbles Saul. He blinds him. And not only does Jesus blind Saul, but he talks to him. And he says, stop messing with me. Jesus put Saul in his place. What began as a mission of persecution ended with the conversion of the persecutor. The menace of the church became the messenger of the church. The bounty hunter becomes the liberator. You see, God turned the tables. He did it in Paul's life, and he could do it in yours. Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. Now, there may be someone in here this morning that can say, I identify with Paul. I've been that guy or I am that lady. I've criticized. I've ridiculed. I have scoffed at Christians. I've mocked Christians for years. Can I just say, God is pursuing you this morning. Yeah, he is pursuing you this morning. You are here for a reason. You came because someone invited you or maybe someone expected you to be here. And you think that maybe you're the least likely person that's going to turn their life over to Jesus today. But can I tell you, if God can save a murderer, he can save you. If God can strike down a murderer, he he can convince you that you need him as well. Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. Now our story continues as Saul is led by uh, by the hand to this house in Damascus. And we're introduced to this guy named Ananias. Now I think Ananias is a guy that I could relate to. He's a pretty normal dude. He's pretty ordinary. He's going about a normal day, doing normal things. But I think, um, I think what we need to see is the role that he plays in this unfolding drama. And we're going to pick it up in verse number 10. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now look at the response of Ananias. Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is like, what? (laughs) Are you kidding me? You want me to do what? 
You want me to do, place my hands where on this guy? Jesus, you got to be messing with me. This, can't, this is something that can't be true. Evidently, Ananias knew who this Saul was, and he knew why he was in town. The last thing that was on his mind was to be the welcoming party for a hitman. He was comfortable gathering together on worship and maybe going to city group on Thursday nights. He's just an ordinary, normal Christian that doesn't want to stand out. And what we see here is Jesus was telling him to do something and something that was a little bit scary. He probably felt like the most unlikely person to do what Jesus was asking him to do. But he, his obedience shows us that he had a heart to obey, but it was mixed with fear. Have you ever felt like Ananias? Have you ever felt like God was telling you to do something that maybe was a little bit scary? Have you ever had the desire to obey, but maybe it was mixed with some fear? Maybe you're that person that felt like, that feels like there is no way I am the least likely person that God is able to use. I think we've all been there. We know Jesus is calling us to do something, right? I mean, he clearly says, go and make disciples. I feel like all of us want to obey, but we're just scared. Maybe we feel a little bit unlikely. There's a desire to obey, but it's mixed with fear. Now, this reminds me of my friend Julie. Now, Julie and her husband, Mike, they've been coming to City Light for quite some time, and they're part of our city group. And we're sitting around in our city group one night, and we're talking about what does it look like for our city group to make disciples. And a lot of ideas are kind of being tossed around, and Julie blurts out all of a sudden, folks, can I just tell you, the thought of making disciples scares me to death. And you know what was going on? I think what was actually going on is Julie expressed something that was going on in that room that all of us was feeling. We were feeling, how do we do this? How do we make disciples? I think we all had a desire to obey, but it was mixed with some fear. Maybe a lot of us that were in that room that night felt like we were unlikely players in making disciples. I think that's what was going on. Ananias, he feared for his physical safety. Maybe we fear for our social safety. I mean, are, do we fear what our friends or our family or our neighbors are going to think if we talk a little bit about Jesus or if we bring Jesus up in a, in a conversation? Maybe we fear for our job safety. I mean, what's the boss going to think if we're in the break room on break studying the Bible and he finds out what's the boss going to think? Maybe there's some fear of our comfort. I mean, those shows that we talked about, we're not going to be able to watch those as much if we're really involved in making disciples, right? I mean, how are we going to watch our shows, get comfortable under our little blankie, and still go out and have the time to make disciples? Maybe we're fearful of the comfort that we might lose. I think that's what Ananias felt. I think he had a desire to obey mixed with some fear. So what did he do? I want you to look at verse number 17. He got up and he departed. 
He obeyed. He started by taking a step toward the house where Paul was staying. staying. So let me ask you, what step should you be taking? You know what Mike and Julie did? They, along with other people in our city group, they connected us with places in our community where we can begin to build relationships with people. Where, where our city group can begin to walk with people who may not necessarily know Jesus. They took a step. What's your next step? For some of you sitting here this morning, the idea of walking into a house full of people that you don't necessarily know might be a little bit scary. Your next step might be to check out a city group. Go online to citylightcb.org. Find out where the next or closest city group is to you. Take a step and go there. That might be your next step. Maybe you're sitting in here this morning and you think, I could never host a city group. I mean, what if they get my carpet dirty? What if a lamp gets broken? What if something bad happens? Well, God might be asking you to host the city group. Your next step might be to say, hey, I'm going to volunteer my house once or twice a month to, to host a city group. That might be your next step. What if God is asking you to lead a city group? You think, there ain't no way God can use me to lead a city group. I'm not sure what that voice is that I'm hearing, but I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. It could be. Maybe your next step is to just begin to take more of a role or maybe begin to talk in discussion about what's going on in the room. Take more of a role in discussion. Maybe you could help lead a city group by organizing the meals for the city group for the coming month or week or whatever that might be. You see, whatever it is that Jesus is asking you to do, you may feel like you're an unlikely person that will make disciples. It may be a little bit scary, but let me encourage you, take a step toward obedience. Take a step toward obedience. In doing that, you'll find that Jesus will use you to do something unexpected because Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. Now, our story here, it continues with Saul continuing to preach the gospel in Damascus. And what is probably a number of maybe three years or so, Saul decides to go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where he just left. The people that were in Jerusalem didn't trust him. They didn't trust Paul, the Christians that were there. Um, The Bible tells us, look look in verse number 26 of Acts chapter 9. It says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. The last time that Saul was in Jerusalem, he was leaving with a fistful of warrants to go and arrest anybody that he suspected to be a Christ follower. So I think we can completely understand why the believers in Jerusalem may be a little bit apprehensive to receive Saul into their crowd, right? I mean, it was the same guy that stood by and watched their friend Stephen get murdered by stoning. That's the guy that they remembered. That's the Saul that they had on their mind. 
But look what happened. A guy named Barnabas. He steps up and he says, hey, folks, it's all good. I can trust this guy. I know this cat. He is legit. What he says he experienced, he experienced. It's all good. Barnabas stepped up and he vouched for Paul. Barnabas's name, it literally means advocate or someone that comes alongside of. And it's the same word that Jesus uses in John chapter 16 when he refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. It's the same word, the advocate. Have you ever been in a position where you needed someone to vouch for you? Where you just needed someone to come alongside and maybe help you out a little bit? Maybe you needed someone to come alongside you and say, hey, this cat is legit. You can trust him. Yeah. So I have the privilege of being a football official for the uh, Iowa High School Athletics. And it's an extremely fun job. And basically what that means is every Friday night in the fall, me and four other guys, we get to hang out with each other and we go to high school football games. We put on the stripes and we... Uh, we head out to the field, and we watch high school boys battle it out on the field, uh, hitting one another, tackling. It's as close to the game as an adult that you can get. I mean, I'd get in trouble as a referee if I went and tackled and hit somebody that was coming through that line, right? But it's as close to the game as I can get. And I say it's a job because you do get a little bit of pay for it. But when you start figuring the time that you put in and travel and all the other stuff, you're really probably making less than minimum wage. So it's not really, uh, you know, something you get into for the money. You get into it because you love the game. You get into it because you like to see high school guys battling it out on the football field. Now, I didn't just show up one night at Underwood Field or in Trainer's new stadium or in CB's new stadium. I didn't just show up one day and say, hey, I'm here. I love football. I think I can make better decisions than these guys. No, I didn't do that. What happened was I was talking with a friend of mine a number of years ago named Ryan Higgins, who is on my crew. And Ryan, as we were talking about the love of the game, he said, I've got an idea. What if you were to become a football official? I'm like, I don't have any connections to do that. Well, Ryan says, I know the guy that you need to talk to. He's my neighbor. So he took me over to his neighbor's name, Chris Gears, and he introduced me to Chris. And you know what Ryan said? Hey, Chris, Chuck is a good guy. He wants to be a football official, and I think he'll do a great job. Ryan, he vouched for me. He vouched for me. He, he gave me some credibility. I had instant credibility because of what Ryan uh, told his neighbor. That's what Paul needed. Paul needed some credibility. And like Ryan did for me, Barnabas comes right alongside Paul and he speaks up and he says, hey, this guy is legit. Would you listen to him? Why did Barnabas do that? How could Barnabas do that? I think it's because Barnabas himself, he already knew that Jesus used the unlikely to do the unexpected. I mean, we, he saw Peter heal the handicapped guy just outside the temple. 
He heard Stephen preach the gospel before he was stoned to death. Barnabas was a wise man who watched the story of God unfold and he took notes and it registered in his head that Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. I think there's some people in our church who have the call of Barnabas on your life. You've been around long enough to know that Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. You've seen miracles happen. You've seen the unlikely person meet Jesus and become a leader in this church. You know the pattern of Jesus to shock and to bring us along and to um, surprise us. And if that's you, can I just ask you to be an advocate for what Jesus is doing among our church, now is not the time to sit back and watch from a distance. Now is not the time to be cynical or to be critical. Now is the time for you to help us trust Jesus to do the unexpected. Find a young leader and tell him how you see Jesus working in. Find a city group leader and tell them, don't ever quit. Don't just watch the story, but help us tell the story by advocating for the next Saul, the next unlikely that Jesus is going to do the unexpected through. Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. So let's take a quick inventory of what we have going on here in Acts chapter 9. There's drama and controversy. There's persecution and doubt. There's a lack of trust and a fear of imprisonment. Now, how would you expect the church to act at this time? What kind of culture do you think would be going on in this church right now? I know what I think I would do. I would be like, Hey, folks, let's not talk a whole lot about why all those cars are parked on our street on Thursday nights. Let's not let our neighbors know too much about the story that's going on in here. I know I might be something like, uh, let's not tell a whole lot of people, anybody influential especially, about who Jesus is because um, the way the culture is right now, we probably could get hurt if we do that. You think that's what the church in Acts felt? No, it's not. Not at all. That's not what the Bible says the church was experiencing in, in the book of Acts. Look in verse number 31. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Jesus used the unlikely to do the unexpected. In an environment where most other groups would fold like a wet taco, this church in Acts, it, it thrives. It continues to exist. They have more peace than ever before. They walk in greater obedience than ever before. And in the midst 
of all the drama and all the tragedy, they were comforted by the Holy Spirit and against all odds, they continue to multiply. Jesus used the unlikely to do the unexpected. Hey, City Light, I believe that Jesus is as alive among us this morning as he was back in the book of Acts. And I think he wants to do a lot more than we think we can see or than, that we might be able to receive. I think he has some surprises in store. I think there are people in this room right now. And the last thing on your mind this morning was, was that you were going to become a follower of Jesus. That you were going to turn your life over to Jesus today. But today is the day that I think you will. I think there are people sitting in here and you've been scared to take that next step. You know that Jesus is asking you to take, to take a next step. I think you're scared about that. But I think the day is going to be the day that you take that step. There may be people in this room right now who you know, um, you know you need to come alongside someone. You know, you know you need to encourage someone. You know you need to vouch for someone and give them some credibility. And I think today's the day that you're going to take that step and come alongside somebody and be that help. Now, how do I know that? How do I know that Jesus is going to do those things this morning? Because that's how Jesus works. Paul, this guy that we just talked about, um, he gets put in, in prison a number of years later, and he's writing this letter to the to the church in Rome. And he uses these words in Romans chapter 5. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. He uses he used the cruelest form of execution of that day as a means to, pro to provide forgiveness for those who least deserved it. You see, Jesus doesn't care what you've done. You could be a murderer like Paul and know that what Jesus did on the cross, he did it for you. You could be that person who you know that you need to take some next steps in your journey and know that Jesus took the most difficult steps on his journey when he walked the road to the cross. You might be here this morning and you might say, I have zero credibility in the group that I'm running in. I have nobody to vouch for me in the circles that I'm in. Can I tell you that Jesus has given you a comforter. Jesus has given you a helper. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit stands before the throne of God. And he says, this one's mine. I vouch for Chuck. I vouch for Doug. I vouch for Kyle. I vouch for these guys. The Holy Spirit is your helper. Folks, Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. Can we pray this morning? Oh, Father.
we come before you this morning. We want to thank you that you do use the unlikely to do the unexpected. None of us in this room are deserving. None of us are rock stars. None of, none of us are able to stand before you without having Jesus. So God, I just pray that this morning you would open our eyes to that fact. Would you tear down our pride as you did with Paul? And would you let us know that we have nothing on our own account? Jesus, would you save someone this morning? Would you let someone know that they can turn to you no matter what they've done? Father, I pray, Lord, that there are people in this room who know what that next step is, who may feel a little bit of fear right now, Father, and that they, um, they know that they can take that step because you took the steps to Calvary for them. God, I pray, Lord, that those who are in the room who may feel a little bit discouraged, may feel a little bit defeated, that they would know that they have the Holy Spirit to be that person that's vouching for them. May there be somebody that could come up alongside them, even this morning, put their arms around, arm around their shoulder and say, hey, this is how Jesus works. Encourage them in the, what you're doing in their life. Father, we love you. We're excited to see how you're going to work, and we ask these things in Jesus' name.